Hey everybody, Magnus here. For those of you who don't know, a couple of weeks before I before you guys are actually hearing all of this, a couple of weeks ago, Gerard Jones was arrested for suspicion of possessing child pornography. All right. If you've listened to either of my episodes about the shadow strikes and also some stuff that I've got coming at some point in the future, you know that I'm kind of a fan of Gerard Jones. He was one of those he was one of those uh, comic book creators whose work it meant a lot to me. You know, it got me through some kind of hard times, you know. My family and I, we moved to Houston when I was eight years old, right? And we'd moved before, but this time was different, you know? For one thing, <clears throat> we, were, uh, we were moving near the end of the school year, you know? So basically, I was going to be showing up in a new school and really wouldn't have time to, to get settled in before here comes summer vacation, right? And then when the fourth grade would start, fucking I would still be, uh, I would, st actually I was nine, I was nine years old when we moved here, but anyway, point is that by the time fourth grade started, I would still, in a lot of ways, I would still be the new guy, you know, even though by this point I'd been here for several months, you know, and so, you know, I'm not trying to like over-dramatize it here and, and make things out to be worse than they actually were, but guys, it really is true, you know, I mean, it was a pretty tough time. And what I'm kind of talking around here is the fact that I just didn't really have a whole lot of friends. I mean, when we first moved here, I mean, nobody gave two shits about me. Nobody. Zero. Nobody, you know? And so my only real friends were, were comics. They, you know, new comics. And they could be kind of like my friends because I didn't really have any. And so one of the guys that kind of came on my radar ab about that time was Gerard Jones. And honestly, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to make too much out of it here, but at the same time, you know, it did mean a lot to know that I could, you know, maybe nobody knew me and maybe nobody liked me, but damn it, at least I still had my comics, you know? And so Gerard Jones at that time, to me, uh, he was just a name that was printed on a comic book page. Only that and nothing more, right? And then, um, it was probably about a year ago or something like that, or a year and a half, uh, he and I started trading uh, Facebook messages. And I've talked about this a, a little bit. When I did my uh, Shadow Strikes number two episode, the exact episode number eludes me, but whichever episode I announce I'm talking about the Shadow Strikes number two, that is probably the episode where I talk about the Shadow Strikes number two. And in that episode, one of the things that I said was, you know, Gerard Jones and I would trade text, not text messages, I'm sorry. He and I would trade uh, Facebook messages with one another. And we would talk alternately a little bit about comics, uh, quite a bit about his nonfiction work, and a lot about religion. And I don't know why, but... 
to my understanding, Gerard Jones is either an, an atheist or he's an agnostic, but for some reason, the I guess the concept of religion, like the idea of it, you know, for some reason, it just captures his imagination. And in relation to that, that's something that he and I actually have in common, right? I mean, I do a, a podcast that's all about comics, movies, and TV shows, right? And for as much as I love those things, you know, guys, nothing to me is more interesting than religion. And I mean this in a very general sense, right? The idea of religion has always just been very fascinating to me. You know, why is it that people do this? You know, what is it that, that different people believe and why do they believe it? You know, what separates, you know, this type of religion from this other type over here? I mean, they say that they're the same, but why are they so different from one another if they believe the same things, you know? And so I guess religion as a, as kind of like a sociological instrument, you know, organizing society and, you know, things like that, it's always been something that's just been very captivating to me. And I get the idea that Gerard Jones was or is uh, similarly interested in it. And that was kind of the bedrock of a lot of the discussions and things that he and I would have in private messages on Facebook. Right. And as I went to pains to say in my Shadow Strikes number two episode, guys, don't make too big a deal out of this. Okay. Because I don't want it to sound like I'm some kind of big insider or something like that. It's not even that way. You know, it's just the fact is, my guess is any one of you who, if you like a, a wide enough cross section of comic book creators, the law of numbers says that if you have if you have the occasion to exchange Facebook messages with them, at least one of those comic book creators and you are going to have a lot in common, you know, or lacking that maybe just two or three things that you really have in common, you know. So my point in saying all of this is not just to distance myself from this whole child pornography thing, which is, I'm going to circle back to that in just a minute. But my point in saying all of this is, you know, I don't want this to be construed as, as being more than it is. You know, he and I were strangers. It's not like we're best friends or anything, but he and I have similar interests, both in terms of comics and in terms of other subjects. And that kind of framed our eh, private conversations on Facebook. All right. So with all of that in the background, you know, I looked up to Gerard Jones, I guess, on a personal level. You know, like I say, his work really meant a lot to me over the years, both in terms of sentimentality in as much as it got me through some really difficult times in my life. You know, I, I don't want to overemphasize that either, but it just, you know, those were big problems for me when I was nine years old. You know, I didn't have any friends and that was a big problem for me. You know, and I had comics and his were some of those comics. So there's that. Then there's Gerard Jones's work, I guess, from the more uh, creative standpoint. You know, how good is this work objectively? You know, whenever you you take away the rose colored glasses of struggles that you had as a child, you know, what I at least find is that his work really does stand up to the test of time, especially on the shadow strikes. That is a fucking amazing comic, and I recommend it to all of you. 
you know, just on a technical level, how that comic is done, how it's written, extremely well done, you know. And so news of him possibly, I don't know, I guess possessing child pornography, you know, that guys that really does bother me for all the obvious reasons. I mean, look, I started using the internet and in kind of the Jurassic age of the internet. And one of the things, this is kind of the dirty little secret about all of those peer to peer file sharing networks like Napster, like LimeWire, like Grokster, like Nutella, like all of them, right? The dirty little secret of a lot of those peer-to-peer file sharing networks is not just that you could get access to porn. Guys, you could get access to some really fucking dark porn, right? Use your imaginations because I'm not going to say it out loud, right? But stuff, look, I can understand on some level, you know, wanting to see some chick with her shirt taken off. You know, the guy in me, I completely understand that. But we're talking about stuff that's just a completely different order of sick. And I'm just going to say it is just fucking evil. All right. You are an evil person. If you if you look at that kind of thing, you know, you are an evil person. You are a bad person, you know. And it like I say, it's just a really big disappointment. And I could understand to bring it all back. I could understand if, you know, you're cruising for porn on LimeWire or something like that and you download something that holy shit. This isn't exactly what I was looking for. Yeah, it's porn, but this is the kind of porn you don't want to you don't want to see, you don't want to have on, on some level, you don't even want to know that it fucking exists, all right? That's the kind of stuff that we're talking about here. And I could see, you know, somebody downloading something like that by mistake. You know, they wanted to see some girl with her shirt taken off, and instead they saw something else, all right? This is maybe why people shouldn't look at porn. But nevertheless, I could see something like that happening as an honest and sincere mistake. And to my knowledge, and I could be wrong, but at least the stuff that I've read on Wikipedia and other places suggest that Gerard Jones, what he had was not just a video that has a a girl in it that looks of perhaps questionable legal age. He had several such videos, some of which are fucking infants, All right, guys, we're talking about babies here. And so he had some of those and he was in his intent was to distribute this. He attempted to distribute some of it on YouTube of all fucking places. And this whole thing, look, guys, there's a chance that these news reports are an error. All right. There's a chance that all of this is one huge fucking mistake. And I hope it is. I really do. You know, because this is a terrible thing. It really is. This is just fucking terrible. All right. But the news reports that I've read, they have a ring of plausibility to them. You know, there's something about these news reports that I don't know why. I just find it easy to believe. And it's a real disappointment to me. You know, And there's this old saying that says, you know, you should never meet your heroes because disappointment is inevitable. We're all only human, and it doesn't matter how great you are at playing the guitar or how great you are at singing songs, how great you are at acting in movies, or how great you are at writing comic books in this case. People are no good. 
All right. They are no good. All right. And if you just think about, you know, the worst thing that any of you have ever done in your life, I doubt most of you have done anything quite as bad as possessing child pornography and distributing child pornography. So I'm not trying to make it like any kind of moral equivalence here. I'm just saying that if you look at if you go over anybody's life with enough of a fine tooth comb, you're going to find some pretty dark shit. Right now, having said that, obviously child pornography is kind of on a different level altogether, and well, it should be. But one of the things that I've I've been kind of undecided about is what exactly am I going to do about all of this? You know, because I am Facebook friends with Gerard Jones, and you know, do I unfriend him now? Or do I keep him as a friend? Or what? Because if I unfriend him, well, that's sending a pretty clear message in some ways. But if I keep him as a friend, that could be sending a message I don't care to send. You know, there's a sense in which that kind of thing can be very easily misconstrued by people who justifiably have a very negative opinion of child pornography, child pornographers, and so forth, right? And the decision I've ultimately arrived at is that I'm assuming that Gerard Jones turns his Facebook back on and assuming he doesn't delete me, I'm not going to delete him. And the reason, and by that, I mean, I'm not going to delete him off of my, off of my friend list. And the reason for that is because assuming he's actually guilty and guys, who knows, but assuming he truly is guilty, there are going to be no shortage of people lining up to tell him what a son of a bitch he is. You know, no shortage of people, none. What I don't think is that there are going to be all that many people out there who are going to tell him that what you did was wrong, it's perverted. I think it's just pure evil, right? And you need help. I mean, irrespective of whether or not you go to prison for something like this or what, that's for the courts to decide. But irrespective of that, dude, you just need some fucking help, right? It really is that simple. Somebody who can, I guess, not be a friend necessarily because he and I are not friends. We weren't friends before, and I for damn sure don't think we're going to be friends now but somebody who can at least be impartial about it and say, or, or as impartial as anybody can be about it, because, you know, and this is the thing, guys. I mean, you know, I don't talk about it a whole lot on my podcast, but I do have a de facto stepdaughter, all right? And, you know, I don't even want to think about what would happen to somebody, you know, if they somehow managed to hurt her in the way that the children in the child pornography that Gerard Jones is charged with having. I just don't even want to finish that thought, you know? So, like I say, not friends, but perhaps someone who can be about as uh, unbiased as it's possible to be under the circumstances and just say, dude, forget about the comics, forget about the writing career, forget about all that stuff, dude, you need help, you know? That may be the only mercy that Gerard Jones ever gets in life. And the fact is, it seems very wrongheaded of me 
to deny him that mercy when that may be the last chance he ever gets for all anybody knows, you know? And so that's the decision that I've come to. And so for those of you who are also Facebook friends with Gerard Jones, you're all mature adults. I'm sure you can make up your own minds and decide what you want to do, right? Not trying to pressure you or sway your decision either way. But what I do want to do here is explain what I intend to do and then explain why I intend to do it. And the fact of the matter, guys, is this is a horrible situation. And, you know, there's a part of me that desperately wants this to not be true. I desperately want this to be a huge misunderstanding. I desperately want to believe that Gerard Jones would never do something like this, right? That's what I want to believe. But like I say, guys, the news stories that I've that I've seen about this, the ones that I've read, they have a ring of plausibility to them, you know? And if he's if he truly is guilty, this isn't like I said a second ago, this is not uh, an understandable human error. He accidentally downloaded the wrong thing. He thought he was going to get something. Turned out he got something else. It happens. You know, stuff isn't necessarily labeled correctly. You know, I could I could see that. You know, if he truly is guilty in a way that is completely unmistakable, this is intentional on his part. I hope the judge throws the fucking book at him. You know, I really do. I I hate to say it, because like I say, I don't want this to be true. I want this to be a huge misunderstanding. I want this to be... I want this to have been a mistake. You know? Somebody served a warrant to the wrong guy. Or somebody thought that Gerard Jones had something that he, in fact, doesn't have. You know? I don't know. All right? I just... I don't want this to be true, but assuming it is true, I want the judge to prosecute him to the full extent of the law. Or not the judge. I want the DA to, to prosecute him to the fullest extent of the law. And Gerard Jones will owe a debt to society, and he will need to pay that debt. But <clears throat> as much as anything, assuming he is guilty, there needs to be somebody out there who will encourage him to get help. You know? And again, I'm not speaking here of incarceration or imprisonment or going on trial or any of that stuff. I mean, sit down with a professional and talk this out. You know, it you know what the remedy for something like that might be? Fuck, I have no idea, you know. I'm not a therapist. But get some kind of help for this, and that's that's what I'm hoping for. So, assuming he is guilty, what I'm really hoping for is that he's not guilty and all of this was a big misunderstanding or as a mistake on somebody's part or an honest error or something like that. I don't know, you know, but like I say, assuming he really is guilty, well, throw the fucking book at him, but dude needs to get help really is that simple. So I'm sorry to start this episode off on, on such a downer, but the next couple of episodes that I've got lined up are already in the can. This is really the first time I've had an opportunity to talk about this in public really at all. 
And I really wasn't in any kind of mood to do a, a special episode of Trennis Magnus Jab's Reality just to talk about this. Because, I mean, geez, I, I wouldn't even know where to start with that. So anyway, but this seems like a pretty good and easy and convenient way to just kind of dump it all out there and I guess let the chips fall where they may. So anyway, now enjoy the rest of the episode as much as you can under the circumstances. I've studied the form of comics intimately. What you need is a hobby. The words and pictures, it could be more than an art form. What the fuck are you talking about? I don't know, it's pretty goddamn weird. A guy dresses up as a devil and he's a lion lawyer, you know? We have to do Aquaman. No one with a lick of sense would watch that show. The word fan actually is a, an abbreviated form of fanatic. And there are some people who fit that category. I believe comics are our last link to an ancient way of passing on history. You can put on a uniform for football year-round, nobody cares. Basketball year-round, nobody cares. Put on a Star Trek uniform, people get a case of the giggles. Yeah, somebody told me you make comic books here. That's from Superman. Small world. You've been trying that Jedi mind show on me since the eighth grade. It doesn't work. It works. You guys must read too many comic books or something. People do not masturbate in the DC universe. That was the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. Welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I do is talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. And today, I'm going to be doing just a little bit of all three. You see, lately I've been in a little bit of a, of a Star Trek kind of mood. I don't really know how it works out for other for other geeks, for lack of a better word, but in my case, the fanboy muse takes me different directions at different times, and there's really no rhyme or reason for it, and it's because of that, I've always kind of shied away from doing any type of an index podcast and in case it wasn't obvious I guess the main reason for my reluctance on that is you know what there are times when as much as I love say the post-crisis Superman I don't especially feel like reading a whole lot of post-crisis Superman you know And that's, by the way, that's not a slam on From Crisis to Crisis or Michael Bailey or Jeffrey Taylor or, or, or anything like that. It's basically just an acknowledgement that I want what I want at different times. And oftentimes what I want is different today than what it was yesterday. That's really the main reason why my my podcast is is a little bit neurotic and kind of all over the map. It's because, honestly, there's really nothing out there that I'm so in love with and so committed to that I would want to talk about that in every single episode, you know? There's 
there's just nothing out there like that. Now, the instant I say I uh, say that, some of you may want to come back and say, well, asshole, you talk about Smallville on a fairly regular basis, but, you know, you guys have to understand, I haven't recorded a new Smallville retrospective. It's got to have been a year or something like that at this point. Now, I've released those on a consistent basis, but I only record Smallville retrospectives when I've got a serious Smallville fixation. You know, when I absolutely positively have to talk about Smallville, that's when I record, you know? And the last bunch of episodes, I've I basically... I've, I've got enough Smallville episodes to last... Uh, in skeletal form, you understand, but I've got stuff plotted out until some, something like 2018, you know? So I'm not going to need... If I go strictly by my schedule, I won't actually need to record anything new for Smallville anytime soon, you know? It's just... It's not going to happen anytime soon. So that... and I guess my point is I took that into account when I started planning my Smallville retrospective so that whenever, anytime you hear me talk about Smallville, it's because at that moment, I am so fucking in love with that show, I can't talk about anything else. And I'd like to think that enthusiasm for whatever it is that I'm talking about carries through in every single episode that I release. That's a hope. Anyway. So, but all of this is a long way of saying that for a couple of days now, I've been in a little bit of a Star Trek type of mood, and I know that I'm kind of in a Star Trek mood whenever I'm, not when I watch Star Trek Into Darkness, but when I think to myself, you know what, I should rewatch Star Trek Into Darkness. I mean, it can't be that bad, can it? And then I watch a couple of minutes of it, and I'm like, okay, no, it fucking, it, no, it really is that bad, you know? But rather than subject you guys to my thoughts on Star Trek Into Darkness, or really the whole J.J. Abrams version of Star Trek, basically what I wanted to do, what I felt like doing, was just watching a couple of episodes of the original series. Maybe watch a, a, a Star Trek movie. Maybe flip through a couple of comics. Because as it happens, I ended up falling sort of ass-backwards into quite an assortment of Star Trek comics, and they're all from DC Comics, but, you know, that's, to me, that's really neither here nor there, you know, it's Star Trek to me, in the end, and the fact that these, all of them, the ones that I found, were all published by DC, to me, that's more like interesting trivia than it is, I don't know, some sort of a disclaimer or something like that, you know, it's not good, it's not bad, it's just, like I say, kind of trivia. Anyway, so basically what I did was sat down and watched the original series episode, The Trouble with Tribbles, because believe it or not, I'd never actually seen that episode before. And I guess I, I enjoyed it. See, my view of Star Trek is that it's, it's a concept. Does that make sense? Star Wars is basically, it, it, it's a story. And it's a story about one hell of a dysfunctional family. You know, and, and, and when I say this, I speak of 
my view of what Star Wars is, it's the story of the Skywalker family and just how fucked up it is. You know, I speak here primarily of the original trilogy and then I guess aspects of the prequels. To me, those things are always going to be perhaps the truest... I guess the truest depictions of Star Wars, put it that way. The original trilogy and then aspects of the prequels. And so that's not to disrespect anything else, Star Wars that's out there. It's just to kind of define the terms of what I've always seen Star Wars as being, you know? It's a story. Star Trek, I guess, yeah, it is a story in a sense, but when you... When you peel everything else away from Star Trek, my view is that it's it's a concept. And the concept is mankind has a very bright future ahead of it. The day's going to come when we put aside all of our bullshit and reach for the stars. And that may seem unthinkable for some people, at least right now. You know, that type of acceptance and, and I guess sort of Brotherhood, one might say. But it's not about whether or not we ever actually achieve that. It's about the, I guess, the highest aspirations of the human spirit. That, to me, is what Star Trek is all about. The characters, the stories, the technology, I guess the Star Trek mythos, those things basically all serve to underlie and maybe underscore the dream, shall we say, you know, Gene Roddenberry's dream. Now, at the risk of speaking ill of the dead, I've never actually seen Gene Roddenberry on the same level as Gandhi the way that some people do. I mean, I realize this may piss a few people off, but my God's honest view of Gene Roddenberry is that he's a is that he was a a womanizing drug addict, and if that offends you, I'm sorry. But it just on a personal level, the guy, I, I just see very little there to which one should aspire. That having been said, though, he came up with, I think, one hell of a good concept of, you know, with Star Trek, he came up with one hell of an idea. Like I say, the... The embodiment of the highest goals and dreams of of mankind and however plausible or implausible you find that, I do find that mankind's ability to conceive and then believe in that type of see I, I'm I'm trying to find a way to not use the use the word utopia because I don't think anyone in their I don't think very many people in their right mind would say that Star Trek is necessarily a utopia, but it does have, I guess, utopian aspirations. And that, on the one hand, it's always been kind of fascinating to me, but, and call this, mis- uh, and call me a, a, a misanthrope if you'd like, but it's always been a little bit repellent to me on the idea that I don't know that we're ever going to be able to get I'm, or if we can it's going to it's not going to be anytime soon put put it that way but 
I do nevertheless like the idea of striving towards this sort of... Uh, the standard of perfection, one might say. And honestly, you know, there have been attempts to achieve that, I think, at various points in history. And I don't want to give this big, huge historical lecture, but what I find is that every major attempt that mankind has ever made to embark upon this sort of quest of perfection, this utopian ideal that Star Trek speaks of, someone always comes along and fucks it up. And I guess to get into that probably would be upsetting for some of you listeners. So I'm just going to move right along and say the trouble with Tribbles, it would... You know, it's a fun episode, and on the one hand, yeah, I kind of enjoyed it, but on the other hand, I really don't know where that episode's rep comes from, because if, I mean, just to cruise around, on, you know, online, on the internet, and look around at episodes of the original series that people, you know, point back to and say, dude, that was awesome, invariably, you're going to find the trouble with Tribbles listed on at least one of those lists or probably several of those lists and I I guess I don't get it I mean look I'll be the first one to say that push comes to shove I I don't know a damn thing about Star Trek not really I mean at best I'm a casual I'm a casual fan and I'm using fan sort of in quotation marks there but I don't know what other word to use I'm a I'm a casual fan of Star Trek, I enjoy the characters, I enjoy the stories, I enjoy the movies. You know, this is not by any means my favorite franchise in all of geek fiction or geek media or anything like that, but it is something that I've always had a, a pretty high regard for. And so, on the one hand, I don't, I don't believe that I'm a complete outsider to Star Trek. On the other hand, though, I am by no means an expert. You know, mine is not, by any stretch of the imagination, the final word on Star Trek. Now, People may want to call this arrogant, but you know what, damn it, I kind of feel like I'm a little bit of an authority on Smallville. I feel like people really should listen to what I have to say about Smallville. I make no such claim about anything Star Trek. And and just keep that in mind when I say that I, I don't really get the trouble with Tribbles. You know? It's, like I say, it's a fun episode. The 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 actors are all good in their roles the story i guess is pretty engaging and when you think about it i mean the idea of smuggling trip uh, tribbles on board the enterprise is a pretty creative way of sabotage actually I, I it wasn't it wasn't actually on board the enterprise that caused all the trouble it was actually at that outpost with uh, the grain and the Tribbles ate the grain. I mean, when you think about it, that is an amazing idea for infiltration and one might say sabotage, you know? And so that, like the creativity of that, I, I, I buy into, but I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I don't completely understand where the trouble with Tribbles rep comes from. It, I mean, to me, it's Look, I mean, I've seen better episodes of the original series than that, and I, like I say, I don't, I don't really get it. I don't understand. So, but you know, nevertheless, sat down, watched it, and I'm glad I watched it. You know, this is, like I say, I mean, for better or for worse, this is one of those kind of legendary episodes of the original series, and 
it almost feels inappropriate to call yourself a Star Wars fan if you haven't seen that episode. Because I guess it would be sort of... I guess it would be sort of like uh, calling yourself a uh, a hardcore a uh, a, a hardcore uh, Bob Dylan fan, but you've never heard Blonde on Blonde, or you're a hardcore Woody Allen fan, but you've never oh, shit. Now, of course, I'm blanking on it. Uh, his famous Annie Hall. You know, you can you call yourself this huge fan of Woody Allen, but you've never seen Annie Hall. Or you're a major Led Zeppelin fan, but you've never heard Stairway to Heaven. I mean, there are certain things that, like I say, for better or for worse, kind of define certain certain of these uh, of these geek properties and franchises and whatnot. And the trouble with Tribbles, like I say, is sort of one of those defining episodes for God knows what reason. So at least now I can say, hand on heart, I've seen it. It's fun, but I really don't see what the hype's all about with with that episode so after doing that my I guess my zeal for Star Trek hadn't really been satisfied and then I realized you know what I've never actually seen Star Trek 5 The Final Frontier and The Final Frontier sort of has the opposite reputation as The Trouble with Tribbles this is one of those films that they call it the odd-numbered curse, right? With the original franchise, where the odd-numbered, the odd-numbered uh, 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 films, the odd-numbered sequels, whatever you want, however you want to look at it, are they just miss the mark? There's something wrong with that. Now, I don't completely subscribe to that myself. But I can't help thinking that The Final Frontier is... That's what people think of when they say the odd-numbered... The odd-numbered entries in that franchise are pretty lackluster. That, I think, is what people are really talking about. The Final Frontier really wasn't everything that it could have been. And... The... I I guess as sort of a... uh, To get into a little bit more of a fleshed out summary for the final frontier wikipedia says the crew of the newly commissioned uss enterprise are enjoying shore leave after the starship shakedown cruise goes poorly at yosemite national park captain james t kirk is camping with spock and dr leonard mccoy their leave is interrupted when the enterprise is ordered by starfleet command to rescue human klingon and romulan hostages on the planet nimbus 3 learning of the enterprise's mission the Klingon Captain Claw decides to pursue Kirk for personal glory. On Nimbus 3... Actually, you know what? Before we, we even get into that, I'm just going to put the summary on pause here and say that as far as, I guess, basic setups for a Star Trek story are concerned, look, I'm well aware of the fact that The Final Frontier is, like I say, it's not very well regarded by fans, but... What I dug about this is that the setup for it, first off, it's just nice and leisurely. I think it's about a good half hour into the movie before the story really begins in earnest, you know? You're about a half hour into the movie before things get into full swing, 
I guess you might say. And one of the most persuasive things about this as an introduction is Captain Claw wanting to take a shot at Captain Kirk. Because let's face it, Kirk, he's got a, rep, a, a reputation all throughout the galaxy. And it stands to reason, at least to me, that Captain Claw, a Klingon officer, he knows who Kirk is, he hates Kirk, and he wants a piece of Kirk. I don't need much persuasion in order to buy into that. So, like I say, I find that easy to believe. And I also find it easy to believe that Starfleet Command, for basically a, a rescue of hostages on a... Basically, I guess you could call it a kind of a border town sort of planet. Yeah, you're going to send in the... You're, you're going to send in your varsity team for that, even if the varsity team isn't necessarily in their best condition right now. I mean, the, the Enterprise has kind of fallen apart... That's a major plot point of the movie, that the that the ship is... It's basically being renovated, and it's just... It's not space-worthy right now. So, notwithstanding, they get sent out anyway because Starfleet Command... They've got to send in the A-Team here. So, that... Basically what I'm saying is, the, the basic setup of all of this, I find very easy to buy into. But anyway, to get back into the summary... On Nimbus 3, the Enterprise crew discovers that renegade Vulcan Cybok, which is to say Spock's half-brother, is behind the hostage crisis. Cybok reveals the hostage, uh, the hostage situation was a ruse to lure a starship to Nimbus 3. Cybok wants to use a ship to reach the mythical planet Shakari, the place where creation is supposed to have, be uh, supposed to have begun. The planet lies behind a seemingly impenetrable barrier near the center of the galaxy. Cybok uses his unique ability to reveal and then heal the innermost pain of a person through the mind meld to subvert the wills of the hostages and the crew members. Only Spock and Kirk prove resistant to Cybok. Spock is unmoved by the experience and Kirk refuses the Vulcan's offer, telling him that his pain is what makes him human. Cybok reluctantly declares a truce with Kirk, realizing he needs his leadership experience in order to navigate the Enterprise to Shakari. I'm going to put the summary back on pause here and say that this again kind of plays into the idea or the vision I've always had of Kirk as sort of a... He's a two-fisted man's man kind of starship captain, you know? Part of me believes that Jean-Luc Picard would have... He would have found a way to... Or at least he would have tried to find a way to reach Cybok. He wouldn't necessarily have refused his offer out of hand. Instead, he would have made a counteroffer. But Kirk is standing more on principle. He basically uh, tells Cybok, go fuck yourself because my life experiences shape who I am. And you know what? Damn it, I like who I am. So fuck you. And I can't help but think that Picard deep down inside he's not an adventurer in the way that that Kirk is Picard he's an explorer but mo more than anything else Picard is a diplomat and it would be I, I submit to you it would be it would be foreign to Picard's way of thinking to be so abrupt with let's face it, a 
potentially hostile threat to the Enterprise. He'd instead try to find a diplomatic way of solving the issue, and if all else failed, he'd go to guns in order to solve the problem. But he wouldn't just refuse the guy like that. And I don't know that Picard would have been equipped to handle somebody like Cybox. So, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. And if I am, feel free to email me and let me know. Trenusmagnus at gmail.com. T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S at gmail.com. Let me know if you think I'm right about that. Because I'm kind of interested. Because like I say, I don't pretend to be an authority on Star Trek. But I I stand by that analysis. So if you if you believe otherwise and you know more about Star Trek than I do, which wouldn't be hard, let me know. Correct me. Anyway, the Enterprise, to get back into the summary, the Enterprise successfully breaches uh, the barrier pursued by Claw's vessel and discovers a lone blue planet. Cybok, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy journey to the surface where Cybok calls out to his perceived vision of God. An entity appears, and when told of how Cybok breached the barrier, demands that the starship be brought closer to the planet. When a skeptical Kirk inquires, what does God need with a, sp- with a starship, the entity attacks him in retribution. The others then doubt a God who would inflict harm on people for his own pleasure. Realizing his foolishness, Cybok sacrifices himself and uses his telepathic powers in an effort to combat the creature and allow the others to escape. Intent on... Actually, I'm going put to this, put this summary on pause. Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, is one of those... It's one of those Star Trek stories that has kind of assumed... Uh, one might say a, a, a disproportionate amount of influence over Star Trek. And so as a result, the tendency that a lot of Star Trek villains have... Not all of them, God knows, but a lot of them post-Khan is this very... L- literate, very erudite type of uh, baddie who has a mat on for one of the crew members in particular, usually but not always Kirk, and basically pursues an agenda of single-minded revenge, all the while quoting Shakespeare while he does it. And it's one of those... It, at, at this point, it's, it's virtually a cliché. And one of the things that I kind of appreciated about the final frontier, love it or hate it, is that Cybok isn't really a villain as such. He's a guy that is basically using the Enterprise crew for his own purposes. You know, he's not necessarily out to hurt anybody. He just wants to come face to face with God. I mean, for lack of a better word, you might even call the guy a little bit of a religious fanatic. And considering some of the influences underlying this movie, well, I feel like I've got a leg to stand on there. But my point is, uh, in all of this, is to say that I, for one, find it kind of refreshing that Cybok isn't really a villain, per se. He's just a guy who wants to achieve something, and he truly doesn't want to hurt anybody to do it. You know, he's probably one of the most humane villains in... Star Trek's entire history, you know? It, it Basically, he's got an agenda that he wants to pursue, and the, the crew of the Enterprise, they're really just a means to an end. And there's a sense in which, you know, he really does help them. You know, he's not really hurting anybody. He truly does help these people 
depending on how you look at it, by helping them deal with their own their own psychological torment. Some would call that brainwashing. Others, you know, others would call it psychological therapy. I mean, I leave, I guess, the moral implications of that up, up to you. But either way you look at it, he's not inflicting physical harm really on anybody. And so, I don't know. That, to me, is a little bit more of an original way to to use a Star Trek villain. Now, excuse me while I take a sip off of my Dr. Pepper here. I also want a little bit of, uh, a little bit from my, uh, e-cig here. One second. Speaking of e-cigs, I can't help thinking that, in retrospect, the worst thing anybody ever did was call these electronic cigarettes. Because when you think about it, this is not a cigarette, per se. It's a nicotine delivery system. You know, you push a button, and then you inhale vaporized nicotine. But there's nothing burning here. There are no carcinogens. There's nothing like that. And... I don't... This is just... Calling this thing a cigarette is, to me, it's a little bit of a concession to the anti-smoking lobby. Those dipshits that basically decide or feel like they have the authority to decide what people can and cannot enjoy. And so I just think the whole thing is fucking retarded myself. But anyway. So much for the brotherhood of man, I suppose. But anyway, get back into the summary. Realizing his foolishness, Cybok sacrifices himself and uses telepathic powers in an attempt to combat the creature and allow the others to escape. Intent on stopping the being, Kirk orders the Enterprise to fire a photon torpedo at their location to little effect. Spock and McCoy are beamed back to the ship, but Claw's vessel attacks the Enterprise at that moment before uh, Kirk can be transported aboard. The vengeful entity reappears and, uh, and tries to kill Kirk when all of a sudden Claw's vessel destroys it in a hail of gunfire. Kirk is then beamed aboard the Klingon ship where Spock and the Klingon General Cord force Claw to stand down. The Enterprise and Klingon crews celebrate a new detente and Kirk, Spock, and McCoy resume their vacation at Yosemite. The end. Now, a lot of people take issue with the final frontier not so much for, I guess, the concepts inherent in, in the story, but more from, I guess, the standpoint of the nuts and bolts of storytelling. Prosecutions Exhibit A. There's a little bit of a plot hole here of the... Uh, basically, the Klingons having a negotiated peace with uh, the crew of the Enterprise so that they can swoop to, to Kirk's rescue. Basically, you've got General Cord and Captain Claw basically deciding between each other, hey, we need to knock this the hell off and rescue Kirk. It's basically right around then that you realize the only reason that the 
that the Klingon warship was ever in the script in the first place was because Kirk, he needed to to face the the entity on Shakari by himself, and then he needed, you know, without a way to escape, and then he needed a way to escape later on. Enter the Klingons, and that's really the main reason that the Klingons were ever in the story in the first place. And so, on the one hand, I think I recognize, you know, the nuts and the bolts of how this story is constructed, and I can even understand, you know, why it is that that pisses people off, but, you know, end of the day, what I look for in a Star Wars, sorry, Star Trek story is, like I say, Star Trek is a concept, and so how well does this story, be it an episode of a TV show or a movie or whatever else, how well does this story present that concept and on that basis i happen to think that the final frontier is as good in, as good as anything and well i don't want to say better than most but it's as good as anything as far as um as far as star trek is concerned and things like cut budgets or maybe incomplete special effects or plot holes those things are less offensive to me in a in a Star Trek story precisely because ultimately Star Trek is a concept and what I want to see when whenever I watch a Star Trek TV show or movie is how well that concept is being brought about and my personal view is that the final frontier it's pretty much everything that Star Trek is all about and you know we can debate amongst ourselves you know how well put together it is on a technical level you know, in terms of cinema and then also in terms of writing and other things. But I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, I don't really see that the movie is as bad as people say that it is, you know. I, I mean, I, I I guess I don't get that. So anyway, to me, it's just it's a fun and enjoyable story. Now, earlier in this whole sort of tangent, I mentioned the, the fact that I kind of fell up uh, fell up, uh, upon a uh, a cache of of Star Trek comics from from uh, DC Comics, published I would say starting in the early '80s and then going right on through to about at least the mid '90s, maybe even beyond that. But I, I haven't exactly gone through and cataloged every single one of these things yet, so who's to say? But one of the things that that I ended up reading was Star Trek: The Next Generation, issue number seventy-six which was published in October, or at least it's got the cover date of October 1995. And the title of this of this story is Suspect. And basically you've got the crew of the of the Enterprise fearing that they've been infiltrated by basically by an assassin who's been who's been jumping around from ship to ship to ship and murdering the head of each ship's uh, engineering, uh, each ship's engineering officer. And so as it goes for the next generation, obviously that means, you know what, Geordi could be in deep shit here. And it's not very long at all before a, a prime suspect gets identified and then carefully interviewed on the sly. And one of the things that I like about this is 
this comic, it comes across like it's like like it could be just another episode of the Next Generation show. And one of the things that I like about Star Trek comics in general is that some of some of these comics, like I say, they've got the the style and the feel of an episode of one of the shows, whether it's the original series or the Next Generation. Or they could be, in the case of the original series, they could also be a little bit more big screen cinema feature film in, in, in their style. And you can do those types of stories. You know, these big multi-part stories that are, let's face it, these are sort of widescreen epics. And then you can also have smaller and more intimate types of stories as well. And that's a strength not just of science fiction in general, but one it's one particular strength of Star Trek in particular that you can tell a, a wide variety of different types of stories. And really what we're dealing with here is a sort of whodunit. And to me, that's kind of an inspired idea for a Star Trek Next Generation story. So I really enjoyed this. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. These types of stories tend to be a little bit, if they're not done carefully, they can be a little bit predictable. And so I basically had the handcuffs, so to speak. I pretty much had the, had the, the true bad guy in this story handcuffed by about page six or seven, you know? It really wasn't all of that big a surprise to me to find out that uh, Re Regina Campisi, a special investigator from Starfleet Command, she was actually the, the real killer. And basically her shtick was that uh, she was infiltrating uh, different, uh, uh, different Federation starships and, and basically uh, committing all of these murders herself. And she basically did this by forging different identities and never staying in one place for too long, changing her name. And really her, her way of getting around not being recognized is that a family friend is an expert surgeon. And considering that we're talking about the future here, it's totally possible that somebody developed a, a surgical procedure to alter your physical appearance such that, you know what? maybe somebody's own mother wouldn't be able to tell you apart from the person that you're impersonating, you know? I find that easy to believe. And so, I mean, of all things in, in Star Trek, the idea of such a sophisticated type of surgery, that's not the most unbelievable thing in Star Trek, guys. I mean, you know, if you're able to, to get around the idea of warp drives and all of these other things, sophisticated uh, plastic surgeries like that shouldn't be a much bigger hurdle for you. So that's just, there's, look, this is not exactly the greatest Star Trek story that's ever been told, but you know, Michael Jan Friedman, he wrote a fun, engaging, entertaining story. It's very whodunit in style. And to me, that's what Star Trek needs to be. You know, it's, it's just, it's a lot of fun. And I think it kind of says something that Star Trek as a franchise in comics, especially at DC, lasted as long as it did. Because, you know, I think that the tendency for a lot of these uh, licensed uh, types of properties is that 
they're here today, gone tomorrow. You know, that seems to be the, at least lately, that's the, that's the trend, you know, that these licensed uh, properties never stay in one place for all that long. And by this point, I think Star Trek, excuse me, I'm going to take another sip off my Dr. Pepper. I think by this point, Star Trek had been at DC for over 15 years, or close to 15 years, perhaps. And it was going strong. I mean, I've read other issues surrounding this one, and those stories are just as strong, just as engaging and powerful and fun, or whatever, as, as, as I would say the best of what Star Trek was doing at on TV at the uh, during this period, which, let's face it, that's kind of defined by the next generation. And to me, this you know these comics are as good as anything that was happening with Star Trek on TV at this time. And I'm one of the people who really enjoys this era of Star Trek. I mean, this was this these were my formative years. This was when Star Trek. This was the first time that I really got into Star Trek, you know, and I'm using, again, I'm using the got in, I'm kind of using that in quotation marks because like I say, I'm not the, I'm not the biggest Star Trek fan in the entire world, but this was the first time that it came on my radar, so to speak. And I just, to me, this feels very of a piece with everything else that was happening with Star Trek at this time. And when you think about it, I think that says a lot about the juice and the potential that Star Trek as a concept has. So, I don't know. Overall, really enjoyed it. So, that having, you know, all of this stuff having been said, I really do not know when this episode is going to come out because I've got a pretty full uh, dance card for the foreseeable future. I've got a lot of different miniseries and whatnot that I'm working through. So I really do not know when I'm going to be able to release this episode. But like I say, I just felt like talking about a bunch of different Star Trek things. And I think this is really one of the few episodes where I've ever talked about comics, movies, and TV shows all in the same episode. So on top of all of that, I'm positive that it's the first time that I've talked about comics, movies, and TV shows that were all within the same family, the same franchise you know, so definitely I'm kind of, you know, happy about that. Not bad. Took a couple of years, but we finally got there. And one of the things that I kind of find myself enjoying, at least about Star uh, Star Trek comics, my understanding is that Star Trek prose novels didn't really take continuity all that seriously. I mean, if they fit in with uh, continuity of Star Trek, that had been set up in films and TV shows and other novels and comics and whatnot, that's fine. But no one was exactly losing any sleep over the possibility that, you know what, this this prose novel might not fit in with continuity all that well. And it was just like no one really gave a shit. And that just isn't the experience that I've had with Star Trek comics. I mean, I... I can't say for absolute sure, but it looks like a lot of these a lot of these comics 
they fit in with the continuity of the films, the TV shows, and everything else as well as they can, you know? Now, it's never going to be perfect, but it looks like these comics really did make an effort to be consistent with everything else, you know, with themselves, but also with everything else. And they're not trying to set up their, their bullshit, their own little universe, you know? Their own little corner, so to speak. And so for those of you who are continuity-minded... I hope you take that as some sort of a recommendation on my part, but anyway. So I think that's pretty much it for me, at least in this segment. So what I'm going to do is take a break, and then I'm going to be right back to talk about uh, some feedback that I've received after these messages. Stand by. you're gonna do with all that junk all that junk inside your trunk I'm a get 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 you drunk get you love drunk off my hump 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 my lovely little lumps Check it out. I drive these brothers crazy. I do it on the daily. They treat me really nicely. They buy me all these ice, Dolce and Gabbana, Fendi and Madonna, Karen, Baby Sharon, all their money got me wearing fly. Whether I ain't asking, they say they love my ass in seven jeans true religion. I say no, that they keep giving, so I keep taking. And no, I ain't taking. We can keep on dating. Now keep on demonstrating. Okay, I'm back now, and I'm going to shift gears a little bit here from all of this talk about Star Trek. And basically, I want to get into a little bit of feedback. Now, guys, it does need to be said that usually the way that I do it is to answer feedback in the order in which it arrives. Excuse me, I'm uh, a little bit sick here, so you may hear me uh, 
coughing and hacking and all of that fun stuff. I'll try to edit that stuff out as much as I can, but anyway. Usually, what I would do is uh, read and then respond to feedback in the order in which it arrives. But I'm gonna bend that rule at least a little bit here. And I'm, I, you know what? I'm gonna acknowledge that if we go strictly by the letter of the rules, technically I've got feedback that begins in uh, 2015 that I should be talking about. But I'm gonna read uh, some feedback that I actually just got because, not because it's especially topical, at least as it relates to this episode, but it is topical, at least in terms of where my fanboy muse is and isn't right now. Which I, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, if it doesn't make sense, listen to it again. So, this is an email that was sent in by Adam Stabelli. Subject line is Jet, Batman on Film. And it was actually sent to me on June the 24th, 2016. So, at the time that I record this, just a couple of days ago. So, now like I say, usually what I would do is I'd pick up feedback, which in this case actually is, it actually goes back to July of 2015, 1-5-2015. But I'm not going to be doing that for reasons I've already said. Now, yeah, fuck it. I, I think I've uh, given you enough caveats. I'm just going to dive into this thing. Like I say, it was sent in by Adam Stabelli. And I reserve the right to be wrong on this, but I do believe this is the first time he's actually sent in feedback to the show. So, Adam, let me just begin by saying thank you for writing. Now, to get into Adam's actual email here, he says, Hey, Trentus, Adam here. Just thought I'd get some things off my chest that have been bubbling to the surface as of late. And I'm going to put the email on pause and say, you know what, man, I am so glad that you phrased it that way, because considering where your email goes, I at first I was wondering, what the fuck did I say that got you all fired up like this? But if you've been having sort of issues of your own, well, that actually makes a lot more sense. So to get back into Adam's email, he writes, Jet from Batman on Film. I'm going to put the email back on pause here and say, guys, for those of you who don't know, Jet is the nom de net of the admin from Batman on Film. He's sort of the founder and, I guess, lead writer for this website. It's called Batman on Film. And he's got, to my understanding, he's got a podcast too. I know for sure he's got a message board. I'm sure I'll be touching upon that before too long. And so... Basically, what you guys need to know about Jet, and guys, this is all just my opinion, if you've had different experiences with him, or if you have a different impression of the man, good for you. But my experience with him has been, shall we say, somewhat different. Now, it needs to be said that Jet is probably one of the and at least in my opinion, one of the main parties online who's responsible for a lot of the, I don't even know what to call it, this kind of Nolan, this Chris Nolan exclusion type of thing, where only Chris Nolan's Batman is really Batman and everything else is fucking horse shit. 
I truly don't know if if words to that effect have ever escaped Jet uh, Jet's lips before. I honestly don't know, but I've never heard him express anything positive to say about just about any other iteration of Batman outside the comics. I've never heard him express positive um, opinions of Tim Burton, Joel Schumacher, the animated series, God knows, the Adam West TV show. You know, the list just goes on and on and on. It, an ignorant outsider might just think that Jet from Batman on film, his, the only version of Batman that he's even willing to countenance is... Chris Nolan's, right? And there, he's not the only one on the internet who felt that way, but he was probably one of the most visible people on the internet who felt that way. And there is honestly a tremendous amount of dipshittery that happens on his site. And well, whatever, I'll... I think I've ranted about it enough. Anyway, that's just basically who we're talking about here, Jet. So to get back into Adam's email, though, he writes, Jet from Batman on film, whom I hate and wish would fuck off and go away already, claims he has insider information, quote unquote, that the Flash and uh, Aquaman solo movies in the DCEU aren't going to happen. And that WB is in, quote, panic mode, unquote, over the reception to Batman v Superman. I just want to put this email on pause and say, guys, look, I don't know who Jet's Hollywood contacts are, at least not all of them. All right. Now, one of them for sure is Emma Thompson or Emma Thomas or whoever the hell Chris Nolan's wife is. Right. That was Jet's main source for a lot of the, uh, news and gossip and stuff that he got for the Nolan movies. And so unofficially, he was sort of like an, I guess you could think of uh, Jet's site as sort of this unofficial and God knows uncompensated marketing arm for what's the name of Chris Nolan's production company? Syncope? Syncope? Whatever the fuck it is. But Anyway, he was basically their little marketing bitch. He ran the website, and he pretended to be just another fan site. But, in fact, he was... I can't say on the payroll, because he didn't get compensated. At least, not with money. But he would get compensated, perhaps, with other things, like access. Or attention to his website in the form of publishing exclusive information that could not be found anywhere else so on and so forth, right? A lot of web traffic, in other words. And, I mean, guys, I don't have anything against uh, these website administrators who sell out. I got nothing against them, you know? Because, given the opportunity, I'd sell out so fast, it'd make your head spin, you know? So, I'm not going to be one of those guys who talks about ethics, Fuck ethics. Daddy needs a new pair of shoes, guys. But like I say, if you're going to sell out, sell the fuck out. Okay, sell out. You know, don't don't volunteer to be somebody's little marketing bitch. 
All right. You know, if, if what you want to do is have a website where you get uh, scoops and all of this other fucking bullshit from producers of TV shows and movies and whatnot, get something for it, guys. Get money. Get five bucks, ten bucks, a hundred bucks, thousand, ten thousand, fucking whatever your price is. All right. Ask for money. Okay. It's whatever. Um, this guy's a fucking idiot. Whatever. I'm just going to get back into it. Just even talking about this guy. Fuck it. Fuck it. Fuck it. So get back into Adam's email. He writes to me, this seems like once again, he's pulling shit right out of his ass and spinning it as inside info. I'm going to put this email back on pause and say, look, Adam, I, I haven't really kept up with goings on at uh batman on film <clears throat> i would say probably in a what's it like seven eight years or something like that basically well i'll come back to that but just to kind of clue those of you listening into what adam's saying here there was a point <clears throat> and it related to that uh, justice league movie that was maybe kind of sort of possibly going into production <clears throat> During the summer of 2008, Justice League Mortal that was going to be directed by George Miller. There was a point when Jet was posting literally every fucking bullshit story that came along about that movie. I mean, guys, there were there were stories and I'm using that in the most loose possible sense of the term. There were stories which is another way of saying unsubstantiated fucking gossip that Jet was spinning like it was gospel fucking truth, all right? One of which, and this is my personal favorite, one of which is that the Justice League Mortal movie was going to be totally CG animated. Now, I know for a fact that that story was complete fucking bullshit, right? Because... We already know that it was. this was going to be live action. This is a matter of, it, it, this is an, an open thing, okay? Everybody knows, right? But the other reason that I knew for a fact that was complete fucking bullshit is because I happen to know the guy who started that rumor, all right? He's an asshole, but he's an asshole with a, who, who just enjoys kind of trolling these, these movie gossip sites. And basically his point in doing this was to just kind of demonstrate the fact that they will post anything anything as long as you say that you're from such and such marketing department or you're from uh, fucking uh, such and such production department they don't fucking care they'll put it all on their website and they don't care right and jet is no better about that than any fucking buddy else right 100 of his contacts in hollywood they all related to chris nolan he didn't have a network outside of that and so what he wanted us to think while all of this Justice League mortal bullshit was going on, is that he had the inside information. And here's proof, because he put up a story that said that the Justice League mortal movie was going to be CG animated. Now, like I say, guys, we all know today that the movie was going to be live action, right? That's, it's just an, a, an open truth. It's common knowledge. Everybody knows that, right? I happen to know, the, like I say, I happen to know the, the asshole that started that rumor in the first place. He'll take credit for it. He's proud of it, right? But the other reason I knew, even at the time, that was complete fucking bullshit, is that 
Justice League Mortal was going to be rushed as it was. Okay. I mean, that movie had to hit the ground running, right? It was going to go into production for um, summer of 2008 and then fucking be completed in time for release in summer, like midsummer 2009, right? That was the plan. In as much as such a thing existed, that was the plan, right? So, guys, do the fucking math. There is no way to do even, I would say probably even an hour-long CG animated movie in one year. It just, it, it, it can't happen. It doesn't happen. It's fucking impossible, right? But this guy put up this fucking bullshit story on his little piece-of-shit website that people believed they bought into, and he got, uh, he got lots of traffic to his website by posting this fucking shit, and it's just not true. Okay, and so when Adam is going on a just fucking rant here about the bullshit that Jet is famous for posting on his site, like completely unvetted, unverified, unconfirmed, un-everything, all right, unedited, all right, he'll put it all up there, or at least he did, I don't know if he still does, but at least back in those days, he sure as fuck did, and that's the kind of stuff that Adam is talking about here. So anyway, to get back into his email, Adam writes, to me, this seems like, once again, he's pulling shit out of his ass and spinning it as inside info. Why would WB, meaning Warner Brothers, why would Warner Brothers go through all the trouble of hiring a new director for The Flash if they were going to go and pull the plug on the film? James Wan, who's directing Aquaman, seems pretty excited about it, meaning directing Aquaman. I don't see Warner Brothers telling him, you know what, James? Never mind about Aquaman. I'm going to put this email on pause and say, you know what? I could, okay? Now, I'm not saying that I do, but I could see them pulling the plug on Aquaman. I'm pulling the plug on The Flash, okay? I could see them doing that stuff if Batman v Superman royally fucking tanked at the box office. I could totally see them doing that, you know? But here's the thing, guys. Batman v Superman didn't tank at the box office, okay? If Superman fucking Returns had done Batman v Superman's numbers, or even half of Batman v Superman's numbers, it would have gotten a sequel, you know? It never fucking happened, all right? So, it seems a little hard for me to believe that, I don't know. I mean, look, guys, nobody knows the future. Will Warner Brothers cancel The Flash? Will Warner Brothers cancel Aquaman? Guys, I have no fucking idea. At the time that I record this, you guys probably know more about that stuff than I do. But it does need to be said that I can't, I really would not understand why they do that based on what, Batman v Superman did or did not do at the box office, okay? So, I mean, if that's their stated reason for doing it, somebody, I this is just my reading between the lines here, but that's somebody taking out a grudge or something like that because it just, to me, it doesn't fucking make sense. You know, anybody who's ashamed of Batman v Superman's numbers needs to have his fucking head examined. So, that's just the way that I'm... That's just the way that I see it, you know? And it looks to me like Adam Stabelli here has basically got about as good a bullshit filter as mine when it comes to this. Look, guys, what I want you to all to remember 
because apparently it bears fucking repeating, is that anybody can say anything, anything on the internet doesn't fucking make it so, all right? And especially this fucking zero, you know, he's throwing out these just fucking bullshit stories that, again, I can't speak to what he's posted lately, because... Well, I'll come back to that in a sec. I'll circle back to that. But I can't speak for what he's posted lately, but at least in times past, he's demonstrated to me on more than one fucking occasion that he will post whatever it is that people send him. He doesn't fucking care. He just wants the web traffic. You know, truth isn't even the point anymore. You know? Now, you all might be asking, where does my negative opinion about Jet come from? Well... You've heard part of it, all right? That's part of it. The other part... I was a member of the Batman on Film forum for quite a while there, all right? And I kind of liked... And this was all basically right, like right before Batman Begins came out and then right after Batman Begins came out. I kind of liked the atmosphere of that place because you had a bunch of different Batman fans and these are these are fans who are primarily Batman fans first but they generally like comics in general and they like talking about movies and they like talking about animated shows and they like talking about comics and all of this other stuff and it's a lot at least back in those days the, the discussion was a lot broader than just Batman all right and so there was a pretty good cross-section of material uh, to choose from there in terms of, you know, different subjects and, and all of these sorts of things. And there were some really cool people on there. Now, right around the time that the Dark Knight came out, it's like the tone of that place just fucking changed, okay? And this happens sometimes on these online discussion boards where it's things are going along. They're going along just fine. And it, it's a great place to hang out one year. But then the next year, it's like the worm fucking turns, you know? It's hard to describe, but it's like... There is just this air of... I don't know. Snootiness about the Batman on film forum. And there was this new breed of member that was being attracted there. They were activating accounts. They were diving into discussions. And the entire atmosphere of that place changed from being kind of a sort of geek hub online, just sort of general geek subjects, to being sort of like a religious shrine unto Nolan's take on Batman. And that's pretty much what it became. And these are people who I don't think they even like the comic book version of Batman. I think the only version of Batman they they like at all is Nolan's. You know, if it's comics, it's shit. If it's Burton, it's shit. If it's Schumacher, it's shit. If it's Adam West, it's shit. If it's uh, the anim any of the animated series, it's shit. You know, if it's not Chris Nolan, ipso facto, it's shit. Right? And... This contingent of Batman fan, if that's even what you want to call him at this point, because I don't know if you have the right to call yourself a Batman fan. In fact, fuck it. I'm not going to be diplomatic about it. You don't have the right 
to call yourself a Batman fan if all you like is Chris Nolan, all right? Uh, come back to me when you know who Jim Aparo is. Come back to me when you know who, who Dick Sprang is. Come back to me when you know who Denny O'Neill is. Neil Adams, Norm Brayfogle, Alan Grant, uh, uh, Frank Miller, Kelly Jones, Jeff Loeb, Jim Lee, uh, fucking Bob Kane, Bill Finger, Jerry Robinson, all right? Uh, come back to me when you, when, uh, fucking, I'm ranting, uh, Carmine Infantino, there's another one, uh, you know, but this, this, just this f- fucking kumbaya, all-inclusive idea that you get to call yourself a Batman fan just because you like three fucking movies, fuck you, okay? No, you don't, right? You're not a fan of Batman. You're a fan of Chris Nolan. Get out of my fucking face with that, you know? And that's the, that's the, the breed of person that we're talking about here. All right. And I'm sorry, Batman's entire history is so much broader than just one man's uh, take on who Batman is and what makes him tick. All right. That's my God's honest opinion. All right. And if you can't get on board with that, I don't think you have the right to call yourself a Batman fan. I really don't. All right. I'm not saying you have to appreciate, say, Dick Sprang. I'm not saying you have to be a fan of Dick Sprang. You have to enjoy those types of stories. But number one, you need to know who the fuck Dick Sprang is. And number two, you need to accept the fact that, yes, there are other takes out there other than your favorite one. And these are people who not only can't even tell you the names of these people, they don't know who Don Newton is. They have no fucking idea. They don't know who Max Allen Collins is. They don't know who Graham Nolan is. They don't know who Chuck Dixon is. They don't know who Jim Ballant is. They don't know who Brian Bolland is. They don't know who Alan Moore is. They don't know Grant Morrison. They don't know any of this stuff. None of them. Right? I'm not saying I'm fans. That, or rather, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm a fan of all of those iterations of Batman. That's not the fucking point. The point is that I at least haven't informed a fuck, fucking opinion on the subject. All right? But these guys... They not only don't know who those people are, which I guess by itself, that's not such a huge thing. I mean, nobody knows everything. I don't know everything about Batman, that's for damn sure. But they not only don't even know who the fuck these people are or what they did, what they accomplished for this character, they don't fucking care. If it's not Chris Nolan, it can fuck off and die in a fire. And I just say fuck you to those people, okay? I'm sorry. You don't get to call yourself a Batman fan if your only entry point into the character is Chris fucking Nolan, okay? And just so I don't look like a hypocrite, I would say the same thing. I don't think there are people out there who are like this, but I would say the same thing if somebody's only conception of Batman began and ended with Tim Burton or Joel Schumacher or Zack Snyder or Ben Affleck, if that's what it ends up being, or uh, Paul Dini and Bruce Tim, all right, or Adam West, fucking whoever, right? I mean, basically, number one, you need to know something about the comics. Number two, you need to accept the fact that the comics fucking change over time, okay? And if you can't accept those two fucking core truths, you don't have the right to call yourself a Batman fan. Fucking simple as that, right? And so... I'm not stupid enough to run my own message board. I don't have the patience to be somebody's fucking babysitter, okay? I'm not getting combat pay, okay? I just I fucking don't have... I don't have the mental fortitude 
to put up with that kind of stuff. I just don't. All right. Now, Jet obviously does, or at least he appreciates the traffic and thus ad revenue that he gets. I don't know. But what I do know is that he made no effort whatsoever to ride herd on people like that. You know, this, these, uh, they call them Nolanites online, which I think is actually a good name because it, to me, it, it kind of has a little bit of a religious connotation to it. God knows they resemble a cult. Anyway, so whatever happened, happened. And the, the entire mood and tone of Batman on film as a forum, it just fucking changed. All right. But the straw that broke the camel's back, at least for my participation, was it was when Jet himself started a forum, not a forum, I'm sorry. He started a thread on the forum and it basically said, because this was a burning issue of, of discussion at the time. This was of utmost importance. Just suppose, hypothetically, that George Miller makes his Justice League movie. And just suppose, hypothetically, that Chris Nolan walks away from the franchise. He quits Batman as a result of George Miller's Justice League movie. I'm not sure if you can hear the firecrackers going on outside right now, but that should just about give away what day I'm recording this on. Anyway, that was the basic premise of, of his thread, right? Suppose that George Miller making the Justice League movie causes Chris Nolan to quit the Batman franchise. Would you be okay with that? He was basically asking for opinions from members of the forum. Golly, that guy's setting off a shitload of firecrackers. Fucking douche nozzle. Anyway, that was the purpose of, uh, of the thread, right? Well, I answered, because at the time there was this big rumor that was going on that not only was a Justice League movie coming, not only was said Justice League movie taking the place of a supposed re sequel to Superman Returns, not only is Tom Welling, like, according to rumor, playing Superman, but overall, this would have nothing to do with the Chris Nolan Batman, so it could kind of give me an alternative Batman that I can enjoy on film, right? I mean, I looked at this a bunch of different ways, and guys, I didn't see a whole lot of downsides to Justice League Mortal as a movie, and I said so. And I said, now, if this inspires Chris Nolan to walk away from the franchise, well, I'm sorry to you fans of the franchise, but I'm looking out for number one here, guys. If if that's where things end up going, I'm I, I'm sorry, I guess, but no, I, I wouldn't be I, I wouldn't regret seeing him go just for my own personal participation. The purpose of this thread, like I say, at least on paper well, paper, in quotation marks, is to give members of the forum a, a chance to air their opinion, right? Jet is the one who started this fucking thread. I did what he asked. And yet, I'm the asshole, somehow, for answering the way that I did. I was, a, I was completely out of line. 
because how dare I not want Nolan to stay on Batman movies forevermore? What the hell is wrong with me? That single post, which contained no aggression, no foul language, it wasn't rude in any way, it got me banned from his little piece of shit form. That's what happened. Does that seem fair to any of you? I mean, look, it's his form. He can ban whoever he wants or he cannot ban whoever he wants. I don't mind the fact that I was banned. What I mind is why I was banned. He solicited my fucking opinion, because I am a member of the forum. He solicited my fucking opinion, and then the little bitch goes and bans me. Because he and I are coming from a very different point of view on all this. That was it. That was my sin. God forbid you disagree with Jet. That's what happened. Now, like I say, it's his page. I don't begrudge him banning me on just because what I what I resent is he actively solicits an opinion, and when he gets a, a, an opinion, apparently one he doesn't agree with, boom, you're banned. Does that seem right to you? Not to me. Anyway, so ever since then, my attitude has been fuck jet. All right? Fuck jet. I've got nothing, honestly, it's not like I've ever seen the guy. All right? And I don't really have anything against him in terms of, like, new business. Everything that I'm telling you about now, this is me grinding some very old axes. But... Adam, just to answer your question, I haven't really kept up with Jet, either his, like him personally, his little piece of shit site, God knows his forum, or I hear that he's got his own little rinky-dink piece of shit little podcast that uh, I don't know what they end up doing. I mean, I'm guessing they spend most of their time verbally filleting Chris Nolan. I don't, I've never listened to an episode, but I'd imagine that's all they do. That basically is where I'm coming from when it comes to all things related to Jet from Batman on film. So, anyway. Finally get back into... Uh, back into Adam's email here. He writes, It doesn't make sense to me. I'm ranting, I know. I'm putting your email up. Dude, you're ranting? Listen to me, jeez. Anyway, back to the email. But shit. Shit like this drives me crazy. Anyway. Thought I'd let this out. Thanks, Trennis. Love the show. Yours, Adam. The end. Uh, Adam, thank you for writing in. I mean, I, I didn't mean to blow up at you. I hope you don't think I was yelling at you. I was yelling, but I wasn't yelling at really anybody in particular. I was just fucking, I, I, I was yelling. So, hmm. But anyway, yeah, sorry. I, like I say, I, I hope you, you know, I hope you're not upset or anything like that. It's just, this is obviously, I guess, a lot more of a sensitive issue for me than I originally realized. So, uh, oops. But nevertheless, you know, I do appreciate you taking the time to write in. I hope you write in again in the future. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, just, you know, whatever it is that's on your mind, because obviously you are a content generator, sir. So anyway, that I think is pretty much it for me this week. Now, as to next week, what I'm going to be talking about, which I guess is maybe appropriate, because, like I said earlier, the fanboy news has kind of taken me in a little bit of a Batman direction, so 
Next week, I'm going to be talking about Batman. Specifically, toys. More to follow. But that's going to be next week. So I think that's pretty much it for me this week. So bye, everybody. I will see you next week. Starting in 1993 and ending, also in 1993, DC Comics brought us 25 issues featuring the premiere of new characters who would go on to shape the face of comics of 1993. For over 20 years, DC Comics has tried to bury these new classics like Nightblade, Edge, Hook, Razor Sharp, and other knife-handed heroes for fear they would overshadow their old standards like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Vexed, and Airwave. For too long, our voices have not been heard, but no longer. Coming soon, Bloodlines Best Event Ever Network brings together dozens of podcasters and bloggers who... Wait, what? Okay. Bloodlines Best Event Ever Network brings together several podcasters and bloggers... What now? I'm doing... Really? They all said no? Brings together a few... Does that work? Okay, then. A few podcasters and bloggers who are not afraid to stand up and be labeled fools for doing something stupid. Featuring such podcasters and blogs as Diablo Frank, Professor Allen, I Am The Gun, Coffee and Comics, Between the Pages, and myself, Al Sedano. More details can be found at resurrectionsadamwarlock.dumbler.com. Bloodlines, best event ever network, coming on or about April 1st, 2016. April Fools. Or is it? Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested, 
Just look for the promo section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental, and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonzacore of Milan, Italy.